Well, amen. That right there gets your heart ready to, to do business with the Lord. Amen. Now, when I say amen, you say amen. 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 I want you to stay. I want you to stay with me today. I'm going to start in high gear so we can get through on time. And uh, I noticed a lot of good restaurants around here, so uh, we want to go ahead and uh, get to that on time. Uh, today, I want to say say how thrilled I am to get to be in the Beach Haven Baptist Church because of uh, it's a good church and it's got a great reputation across our state. And uh, I love your pastor. I've got to work with him when I was chairman of the executive committee and uh, on the administration committee. What a thrill it was to get to know him and to get to meet and to work alongside of him. You were blessed to have him as your uh, shepherd here uh, at the church. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles today and turn to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 38. You'll see on the screen there, you'll, uh, those of you, if you've ever been stuck, how many of you have ever been stuck in your life? Just raise your hand. If you've ever been stuck in an automobile, raise your hand. You know what? I don't think there's a single one of us that would ever would say, if you've been stuck, that when the moment you were stuck and the, the, when you were having to deal with that circumstance, you're like, thank God I'm stuck. I'm so happy. You've never woke up in the morning and say, you know, I hope I get stuck today. I hope I get so stuck I can't move. But you know what? We don't feel that way, but there are times in life when we do get stuck. We get stuck spiritually. We get stuck physically. There's different times, kinds of ways that we can get stuck. And today I want to share with you a message entitled, Mire Warfare. What happens when you get stuck in the mire? We normally don't use the term mire uh, very much, but you know what? Here in Georgia, we use the word mud. If we get stuck in something, it's not mire. We get stuck in the Georgia red clay or the mud. But there's times when we get stuck. You know what? Many of us feel stuck this morning because of what happened yesterday. Uh, we're, some of us are in the mire. We're in the sports mire this morning. And we're having to battle our way out. But I'm coming here today to help, help us all get out. My wife is in the sports mire this morning. And uh, so we want to help all of us today get out of the, the mire. I want to be sharing the subject about mire warfare and about what happens when you get stuck in the mire. And I'm taking my text from Jeremiah. If you don't know where Jeremiah is, just get in the Word. Go to Isaiah and take a right. Go to Ezekiel and take a left. And you'll run right into Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 38. And what happens? Jeremiah is the prophet of God. He has been doing exactly what God had told him to do. You, to tell the nation if they do not return and repent to God, God is going to bring judgment to them. And he's telling them that the... the Babylonians were coming and that they were going to, to take them and to, many of them would be annihilated. Many of them would be in great trouble. And so he was preaching and he was sharing, but Jeremiah had no converts. Nobody listened to him. Nobody changed their direction. Nobody repented. Nobody came to God. And you know what? There came a time when Jeremiah, there was a time earlier in, the, in this book, there when he got so discouraged and so despondent, and yet there comes this time when he said he was going to continue to follow the Lord and to, to prophesy what God had told him. Then they made some folks mad. Have you ever told somebody the truth and it made them mad? Mm. We all have. Well, this is what Jeremiah was doing. This is where I want to pick up our text today. In Jeremiah chapter 38, let's just begin with verse 3. This is what he was prophesying. Thus saith the Lord, this city shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, and he'll take it. Therefore the princes said unto the king, We beg thee, let this man be put to death. 
For this he weakeneth the hands of the men of war that remain in this city, and the hands of all the people in speaking such words unto them. For this man seeketh not the welfare of the people, but the hurt. Then Zedekiah the king said, Behold, he's in your hand, for the king is not he that can do anything against you. Then took they Jeremiah, cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the son of Hamalek, that was in the court of the prison, and they let down Jeremiah with cords. And in the dungeon there was no water but mire, so Jeremiah sunk in the mire. First of all, I want to share with you today some facts about mire warfare. The facts about mire warfare. The first fact is that there is a determined nature of mire warfare. When you get stuck in there, there is a, a mental and a spiritual emotions that come with that. And it is a determined nature. Have you ever noticed there's always somebody who wants you in the mire? Think about that a minute. You know who I'm talking about. You know Nasty Ned or Sister Sourpuss. You know that everything that comes out of their mouth is negative. That may be one of your friends, one of those bullies at school. You know, one of those who, no matter what you do, no matter how good a mood you're in, they're going to be the ones that's going to drop a bomb on your mood. They're the ones that when you come into the re uh, to a restaurant or if you, if you see them in the parking lot, you'll just go on to the next restaurant. Or if you're in the grocery store and you see them, you'll walk five aisles out of your way not to have to speak to them because you know they're going to say something negative. How many of y'all know somebody? Don't raise your hand. You might be sitting next to them. <laughs> no, no, don't raise your hand. And let me just throw something in here extra. If you have a negative disposition and half of everything you say comes out of your mouth is negative, I want to give you a word of advice. I'm going to tell you what all your friends and family won't tell you. Stop it. You're driving them crazy. They don't want to be around you. They don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear all that negative stuff. Am I telling the truth? That's right. We don't want to hear. We don't want to be stuck in the mire. We've always got the devil trying to get us there anyway. We don't need you. We got enough, we got enough resistance against us. It's a determined nature. There's always somebody who wants you in the mire. It might be somebody you don't even know. It might be that student you don't know that comes in class who has a, a negative attitude. It might be that person who cut you off in traffic and you didn't say the Lord's Prayer over them. <laughs> you, were, you were almost thinking about praying down the death angel on them. Be careful. But there's always somebody who wants you stuck in the mire. Did you notice what the Bible said? It says, they took Jeremiah and they said, they let down Jeremiah. You ever had somebody let you down? Some of you may be sitting here today and you're still discouraged over when somebody, one of your friends or one of your family members or your employer, somebody let you down. And you know what? You can't even think about them without thinking about negative emotions feeling that negative way. You think about how Jeremiah must have felt. You know what? Those, the Bible said the princes, they said, let's kill him. They didn't, they didn't want to just put him in the mire. They wanted to kill him. But you know what they did? They said, let's get him out of sight and out of mind. And you know what? If we put him there, it won't be long, and he will be dead. And so they let him down into that mire. And so it's a determined nature, this mire warfare, but it's also a depressing nature. You think about Jeremiah. When they put him in this place, he wasn't put in a... In a in this dungeon that was occupied by many. He was put into a dungeon that was occupied by one, him. 
And can you imagine what it must have been like when they were lowering, lowering him down by those ropes and they got him, the Bible says there that he sunk in the mire. When he's talking about sinking in the mire, he's not talking about his toes just reaching and getting in that mire. It's not talking about just his ankles or his knees or his waist, but it seems as though he is from his chest to his neck in the mire. And when they put him down there, he's thinking, well, there's no, there's no way out. I'm done for. And you know what? He didn't fall into the mire. He wasn't in the mire by the decision that he made. He was in the mire because of the decision that others had made against the God of Israel. You know, the devil always wants you in the mire. But not only is there a determined nature of the mire, but it is a depressing nature. Why? Because it's a place of sadness. He was alone. He had been taken away from any of those that he may have communication with, that he may have love for. He was separated from them. It's a place of sadness. It's also a place of solitude. He was alone. Have you ever noticed when you get discouraged and get in despair and down and out? Have you ever noticed how you pull away? You don't want to be talk, you don't want to talk to your friends. You don't want, you'll turn the phone off. You don't want to go to anywhere. You, won't even, you don't even want to be around those people who will encourage you. See, that's the dangerous thing about being stuck in the mire. Because once the devil gets you there, he has got you neutralized so that you'll never accomplish another thing for God. This warfare, being stuck, we see it as a depressing nature. And then the Bible, did you notice also what it said? It said there that when they put him in the mire, they let him down, it said there was no water but mire you know in the bible the water represents a picture and a type of the holy spirit of god and i want to assure you that there are times when you come to a discouraged time of life or when you get dis when you get stuck you know what there's been times when i was so stuck it happened to me you know what, I was so stuck, I, I didn't even feel the presence of God. It didn't mean he wasn't there. He was there. But I'll tell you what, physically or uh, uh, humanly speaking, I couldn't feel it. I couldn't sense him. There's times when our problems get so big that you can't even see God. I hope and pray you've never experienced that, but you keep living, you're going to, I assure you. I hear amen right there. These folks know what I'm talking about. But you know, it is a place, there's times when it seems as though the Spirit is not there. But it's not to say that he's not there. He is there. It's just that our, it's our able to recognize him and to respond to him. You know what? Our troubles and our despair gets bigger than all outdoors. Jeremiah was there. Jeremiah said, he told the Lord in, in chapter 37, and, and then over in verse 20, he was, in chapter 20, he was telling him, he said, Lord, he said, you have caused me. He said, you've deceived me. He said, you've kept me in derision. He said, man, everything I've done has failed. He said, why have you done this? And then he said these words, I won't speak another word in your name. I'll tell you what I'll do, God. I just won't say another thing in your name. But then the next verse said, Oh, but there was a fire in my bones. There was something stirring in my soul. I tell you what, when you can have the Lord Jesus living in your heart, you may want to suppress him for a while, but I tell you what, there'll be a time when his spirit come alive in your heart. Listen, when you see evil, you say, I can't stand for that. I've got to stand for what is right. 
So here, the, the facts about the mire, it's a determined nature, this warfare, and it is also a depressing nature. But not only did I want to share with you about the facts about mire warfare, but I want to share with you about the fallacies about mire warfare. Now, you young folks, I want you to listen to me because I know what it's like to go through those teenage years and those early adult years when you get that feeling that nobody likes you. I don't hardly have a friend left. And you know what? Those are just deceptive things that the devil sends you away. I want you to share with you Jeremiah. When they were lowering him down in that mire, you know what came to his mind? I guarantee you, there's no hope left. There's no hope. I'm done. They're going to sink me in this place, and I'll be dead before long, and there's nothing. Nobody's coming after me. Nobody's going to be calling. There's nothing left to do. There is no hope you know what? That's what happens about mire warfare. When you get stuck, you get to the point where you think, well, there's no hope. There's nothing I can do. I said that every time we were going to get report cards when I was in school, there's no hope. I'm dead. My dad was one of those old-fashioned men that he got physical when you didn't do your part. The government's against that kind of thing now, but, but my dad was all for it. He'd beat the Lord out of you. I mean, he'd want to make you want to do good. I, I wanted to excel after he got a hold of me. I was more scared of my dad than I was of God. I thought God was a God of grace. Dad wasn't. But you know, the fallacies about this is that there's no hope, that there's no help. But you know what? I want to tell you what, that is a lie straight out of hell. Don't you believe that? I don't care what kind of mindset you're in today or emotional state you're in today. Do not believe that there is no hope. Don't you believe that there is no help? There is hope and there is help. If all of the people who commit suicide daily, if they could come to the place where they knew that God was there and the, the Holy Spirit of God would touch them, and if the Jesus Christ who, who is there to receive and to respond to them, if they just knew that, if they could just grab a hold of that in that moment of despair, listen, they had found their way coming up out of that mire. But those are difficult times in life. And listen, let's not be judgmental of those. Because you may not have seen the worst that life can deal out. You've not seen the worst that the devil can deal out. Be real careful about being judgmental about those times of being stuck in the mire. I'll tell you what, when I was a little boy, I was about six or seven years old. And you know what? I, it was supper time, and we always ate on time. And you know what? It got to be around 6 o'clock, and I didn't hear my mom in there rattling pots and pans. And for her cooking for four boys and my daddy, she messed up every dish in the house. She just, I mean, I, we, I always knew that because we had to wash dishes. We started, when you got six years old, you had to start washing dishes. And you had to do it a week at the time, not just one night at the time. It was, it was painful. It was painful. I, I still, I hate washing dishes to this day. I hate it. But anyway... But you know what? I didn't hear mom in there banging pants around, so what I did, I went around there. I could hear mom and dad in there talking. My dad was a Baptist preacher. And you know what? I walked around, I looked into the kitchen, and I saw my mom and daddy standing there in front of that sink. And I heard these words come out of my mother's mouth, and they were like a whip across a naked back when she said, Billy, I can't even make my boys a biscuit tonight. What am I going to do? And he said, honey, I don't know. And she said, she said, I can't even open up the bread box and take a loaf of bread and make these little boys some toast. These boys are going to go to bed hungry tonight. What am I going to do? My daddy said, honey, I don't know anything left to do but pray. And I remember seeing them two take hands, and they knelt down, and my mama began to pray. 
And she said, dear God, I don't know what's going on and why this is, this is taking place, but I beg you. She said, God, I'd rather die tonight than watch my little old boys go to bed hungry. And she prayed and she said, God, if there's anything that's hindering my relationship and my boys eating between me and thee, she said, I beg you to forgive me. And she prayed and I remember watching the tears roll across her cheeks and dropping on that old linoleum floor next to her knees. And she prayed till she couldn't pray another word. She had wept till there was no many tears. And then my daddy started praying. And my dad said, dear God, I don't understand, but I know one thing. You've been faithful to us. You said that your seed wouldn't be forsaken. And you know, he said, we wouldn't be begging for bread. He said, God, I trust you there. He said, God, you've never failed us, and I trust you to take care of us. Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it, but God, I trust you. He said, Lord, I'm going to live by faith. I can't look by sight. There's nothing to see here. And he said, God, I need your help. And there, this little old boy, standing halfway of that little old bitty parsonage, Looking at my mom and daddy, I went to the front door of that little old Texas house. I opened that front door, and I flipped on that little old outside light, and my mom and dad walked up behind me. And there, my dad just moved me aside, and he stepped out on that front low stoop. And there, I never shall forget what I saw. There was three women and three men standing out there in the light of that little old front porch light. And my dad looked, and I looked, and I saw. And each one of those men and women had two bags of groceries in their hands. And my daddy said, what's this all about? And I heard one of these precious Baptist women saying, Preacher, this morning in my private prayer time, I was praying and I was asking God, what is it you want me to do? And she said, she just felt the Spirit of God tell her, well, you know what, y'all need to do something for your preacher. And so she didn't know what to do, so she called her husband, a Baptist deacon, said, honey, what are we supposed to do? She said, I, I believe God's wanting us to do something for our preacher. And he said, she said, I don't know what to do. What do you think we ought to do? He said, well, I don't know, honey. He said, he's got all them little old boys down there. He said, just go to the grocery store. He said, let's have an old-fashioned pounding. Call the women folks and call the men, and let's have an old-fashioned pounding. Go get a, a pound of bread and a pound of wheat and a pound of sugar and a pound of butter and a pound of lard. Just go. And you know what? There they had went out and bought groceries that day. And then one of the ladies said, preacher, our, one of our, our other deacons and their wives are at a meeting in, in downtown tonight and said, I'll tell you what do. said, they went shopping today and that, gross, that car out there is full of groceries. And I remember watching those women and men walk into our little old bitty house and each one of them carrying two bags of groceries. You know what? It, just a few minutes ago, I thought I was going to die of starvation before I went to bed. But now I think I'm going to die of gluttony. Man, I said, praise God. I mean, they, and they bought some of that high-priced cereal too, man. We didn't get that at our house. Woo, son, I said, man, that business done picked up. And you know what? I remember them walking in there, and my man, they, they not only put it all over the kitchen table, but all over the countertops. The, the house was full of groceries. You know what? I didn't think much about it. All I thought, but I was getting ready to eat good. But I tell you what, when this little old boy laid down in bed that night, Man, I got thinking about God Almighty who was in that room and there with my mom and daddy when they was praying. God spoke to my little old heart and he said, I tell you what, while they were in there praying, I had already answered their prayer. Folks, I want you to know there may be times in your life when you think there's no hope and there's no help. There's no one coming or no one calling. But I want you to know there's a God in heaven who knows where you are. He knows if you're stuck. He knows what's going on. And God has a way of getting you out of the mire. That's the God we serve. Amen. Oh, that's the fallacies about the mire. 
But then I want to share with you about the last thing. is about the faith that's found in the mire. Now, I want you to, I didn't read this part of, the, of this passage, but I want to finish with it. Jeremiah's stuck in the mire. He don't, to him, as far as he's concerned, there's no help, there's no hope, there's nothing left. But I want to read to you the rest of the story. The Bible says in verse 7, it says, Now when Abedmelech, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs, which was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon, the king sitting in the gate of Benjamin, Abedmelech went forth out of the king's house and spake to the king, saying, My lord the king, these men have done evil, and all that they've done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they've cast into the dungeon, and he is like to die for hunger in the place where he is, for there's no more bread in the city. Then the king commanded Abedmelech the Ethiopian, saying, Take from thence thirty men with thee, and take up Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he die. So Abedmelech took the men with him and went into the house of the king under the treasury, and they took thence old cast clouts and old rotten rags and let them down by cords into the dungeon to Jeremiah. And Abedmelech the Ethiopian said unto Jeremiah, Put now these old cast clouts and rotten rags under thine armholes under the cords. And Jeremiah did so. So they drew up Jeremiah with cords and took him out of the dungeon, and Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. You know what? The hero of this book is Jesus. Amen? The hero of this book is Jesus. I've spent my life searching the pages of these books and these chapters and these verses, and I try to find Jesus... I've gone through this entire Bible trying to find Jesus on every single page. And I want you to assure you that I have found Jesus on every single page of God's written word. Did y'all see Jesus in this last passage I just read? There's a picture and a type of the Lord Jesus. I want you to notice. The Bible said that there was a man named Abedmelech. Did you notice where he was? said he was already, he was in the king's palace. And he went to the king on Jeremiah's behalf, and I want, you to, I want to draw you in close here, that Jeremiah knew nothing about. Jeremiah thought there was no help or there's no hope. He didn't realize that there was somebody already in the king's house who is going to go make intercession for him. Jesus said, I ever li- he ever lives to make intercession for you and for me. Jesus knows where we are, and he knows what we're going through. And there comes a time when we get stuck in the deep mire, in the mire pit of life, that listen, when we think that there's no help or there's no hope, there's somebody who's sitting on the right hand of God, and his name is Jesus. Not only the God, the Son, but the Son of God. And there the Bible said he lives to make intercession for us when we're stuck and nobody else knows because see a lot of times you'll get stuck in the mire and you won't even tell anybody you know that's what depression does that's what discouragement does many times you walk around with a a mopey face you just get silent don't talk to anybody because you don't want to tell them But I want you to know, even though it seems that no one else knows, even when you're hiding what's going on, the feelings that you've got in your heart, I want you to know there's somebody who knows what you're going through, and his name is Jesus. There's nothing, no trial or tribulation that you'd succumb to 
that the Lord Jesus does not already know and is aware of. There's nobody like Jesus. He's the lover of our soul. He's the lily of the valley. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the bright and morning star. He's the, he's the waker of our soul in the morning. He's the peace that lends us all understanding. He is our Savior. He's our Lord. He's a lover of our soul. There's nobody like Jesus. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. There's nobody like Jesus. I love hearing the name of Jesus. I can't get over what Jesus did for me. As a seven-year-old little old boy, I came down the aisle, and I gave my hand to my daddy, and I said, Daddy, I need to be saved. He said, why? I said, Daddy, I'm lost. He said, what do you mean you're lost? I said, Daddy, I'm lost. I need Jesus. And he said, are you sure, Brian, you're a good boy? And I looked up at him. I said, I'm not as quite as good as you think I am, Daddy. <laughs> and then he asked me one of those very difficult questions. He said, what have you done, son? Now we're standing right down here in front of the whole church. What have you done, son? I says, well, Daddy, I've lied to you and Mama. I hadn't done what I should have at school. I just went through every sin I could think of. I named it right there, right to him. And then he looked at me and he said, that's exactly what you need to do. You need to give your heart and life to Jesus. You know what? I knelt down on that front row there, and my daddy led me in a sinner's prayer, and I prayed to see the Lord Jesus. And I'll tell you what, right then, in that moment, I don't understand all that God has done in this life, but I know that as a seven-year-old little boy with a faith that God can only give, I invited Jesus into my heart, and he saved my soul. Folks, I want you to know that's the same God still in the saving business today. You know, those of you here and you've been saved, that's a wonderful thing. The greatest thing ever, decision you ever made in your life is to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The worst decision a person will ever make is to die without Christ. Every one of us has got to come to that decision. What are we going to do with Jesus? Are we going to accept him as our personal Savior? Are we going to live our lives and, and allow him to be the Lord of our life or not? You know what? Where did Jeremiah's help come from? The Bible said he came and they put down 30 men. They put down ropes. Told him to put them under his armpits and they were going to pull him out. You know what? The only place where Jeremiah's help could come was from above. When you get stuck in the mire emotionally and spiritually, listen, your help's going to come from above. You know what? God sends people like you and me to go and to put down ropes to people in the mire. You know somebody who may be stuck in the mire right now. I got in the mire about two years ago. I mean, I'd been pastoring for 23 years at my last church, and man, we'd gone great guns. We'd enjoyed the ministry. But you know, something just happened inside my heart. One night I was preaching, standing about like I am on a, this stage. The stage of mine, I just saw, while I was preaching, I just saw my... I just saw myself standing on the edge of the stage, just like I was looking at myself. But then I took another look, and I just saw a, a, deep, a deep chasm there. And then I watched myself jump off that cliff and hit the rocks on the bottom. And right there while I was preaching, just like I'm preaching to you right now, I saw myself dead laying at the bottom of there. Now, folks, I don't know what all that happened took place in there. I'm not talking about visions and all that stuff. I'm just telling you, what happened in my heart? When, that, when we said the last amen, I slipped out the side door, went and got in my pickup truck. My wife, was she had her own vehicle there. We only lived a half mile from the church. She came home. She said, what happened? And I just told her, I said, honey, I might as well tell you, I'm not going back. 
I'm not going back. She said, not going back where? I said, to the church. She said, what's happened? I said, I'm just done. Something inside me, I just feel dead. She said, what do you mean you feel dead? I said, there's no more sermons. There's no more there's no more study. There's no more, there's no more giving. There's no more uh, compassion. There's nobody. I'm just dead. In the department I work in right now, Church Minister Relations, Danny Waters was a specialist in there. For that department, he was one of my best friends in this world at that time. And when he found out about it, it's a long story, and I'm not going to share all that with you, but he, he came by one day, and I was so stuck in the mire, I didn't know which way was up. He come down my driveway after been calling me all afternoon. And I wouldn't answer anybody's phone calls. He came down my driveway and he got out. You know what? When he came down my driveway, it just made me mad when I saw him. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You don't want anybody to encourage you? He came down and he, he walked around there what I was doing. And he said, you, I've been trying to get you all day. I said, yeah. He said, what's the matter? And I said, I don't have anything to say, Danny. I was just cold. I was just cold. I never dreamed. I could feel that way. I never dreamed it. Don't think it can't happen to you. I pray it never does, but you know, it could. And he looked at me and he said, you going to tell me what's the matter? I looked at him and I said, and I did. I, and I, I'm always ashamed to have to be this so brutally honest about it. But I took an aggressive stance toward Danny and I walked up to him and I, I said, best thing you do is get in your automobile and you get out of my driveway. I'm done. There's nothing left. He looked at me. He took an aggressive stance toward me. A little old sawed-off rascal walked right up. Just, it's almost like he put his nose on my nose and said, that bed's going to get real crowded with me and you and your wife in it tonight. <laughs> and then he said these words, and he had a real aggressive bulldog look on his face. I'm not going anywhere. Man, I spilled my guts. I couldn't think about him getting in my bed. I just, oh, Lord, Danny. I said, I don't know what's the matter, man. I'm just dead inside, man. For three months, he had somebody preaching in my pulpit. I didn't go to church. All I did was get physically. I had some physical issues and had to have surgery and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? I was sitting in the house one day, and I was studying this chapter, chapter 38 of Jeremiah. And I got to that point where it said he took 30 men. That morning, I remember getting up, and the devil saying, then nobody cares about you. Nobody at that church cares whether you ever come back or not. And you know what? I just, I was sitting there, I was about half believing that line. I was reading, reading that passage. And while I was reading that passage, I got a text come through on my phone. It was from one of my preacher buddies, and it said, Hey, buddy, just want to let you know I love you. I'm praying for you today. Man, call me. I'll call you soon. You know what? I got thinking. I wonder how many folks do care. I said, well, you know, I'm going to go back three days and just see. I've been having a lot of people email and call me and text me. I said, I'm going to go back just three days, and I'm, just, I'm not going to look at other people. I'm just going to look at the preachers. Preachers are my best friends. You know what? I, started, I took a legal, yellow legal pad, and I started writing down all those names. And so I wrote down name after name until I couldn't think of any more. As I pushed it aside and I looked back down, I read that where it said, and they took 30 men, and I thought of the last guy. And I, wrote on, I reached over and I wrote his name, and I happened to look down at that last name, and right beside that name was 30. 30 preachers in three days. And each one of them had threw down a rope. And I'll tell you what, that was the day that the Holy Spirit of God said, 
Come on, big old boy, I'm fixing to get you out. He knew one couldn't get me out. He knew Danny Waters couldn't get me out by himself. But he knew 30 guys could help get me out of there. And that was the day there the Holy Spirit of God got a hold. I got a hold of those old ropes. And those guys, they pulled me up out of that mire. And I'll tell you what, I went back to my church. And I'll tell you what, we started having revival. And God started ministering to my soul and the soul of our churches. And then God moved me into this department where I'm going ministering to men and churches who are stuck in the mire. God's good. <laughs> He's real good. I want to ask you a personal question. There's several different ways you can be stuck today. The worst place to be stuck in this whole wide world is to be stuck in the mire of your lostness. If you're lost without Jesus, if you don't know him as your Savior and Lord, you need to trust him today. You could be stuck in the mire of your loneliness but you know what? God knows where you are, and he knows what you need right now. I'm going to ask every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. I don't want anybody looking around. The most serious time of this entire service is right now. If you're here today and you've never invited the Lord Jesus to come into your heart, forgive you of your sins, and to save you, what would keep you from doing that today? Whether you realized it or not, you are in the mire of your own lostness. You need Jesus today. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the only way. He's not just one way. He's not one way of many ways. He's the only way. And there's Jesus sitting on the right hand of the Father today, and he knows if you're stuck in the mire of your lostness, and he'll save you. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, what a blessed promise. If you're here today and you've never been saved, right there where you sit, in the privacy of your own heart, what would keep you from trusting Jesus? Preacher, how would I do that? It's between you and God. I can't save you. Nobody else can save you. It's between you and Jesus. But he said that if you'd call on him, he'd forgive you of your sins. And then he said, who would ever call on him? He didn't know why he was cast out. He'll save you. If you're here today and you're in the mire of your lostness, why don't you pray in the privacy of your heart, Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I need you. I've been stuck in this lostness all my life, but today I want to be set free. I want to get out of this mire of my lostness. I don't want to be stuck being lost ever again. Today, I ask you to forgive me my sins and come into my heart and save me. And then thank him. Dear Lord, thank you for saving me. He promised he'd save us if we ask him. Jesus is a God of his word. He doesn't lie. If you ask him to save you, he promised that he would do that. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you'd say, well, preacher, I pray to receive Christ today. I'm not going to embarrass you, come to you. I'm not going to say anything to you in any way, in any form or fashion. But I want to just note who I can thank God for today. If you pray to receive the Lord Jesus, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand and right back down. There's nobody looking but me. Up and right back down. Anyone? All right. Anyone? You may be stuck today in that mire of your loneliness. Somebody's hurt you. Somebody's got you there. You need to be set free. You need those chains to be loosed and let go. Why don't you turn it over to him today? Why don't you receive those ropes? 
I've come here today to lower a rope down in there. There's other people who are praying for you. You may have others that you're praying for. You know, either you need to receive a rope or you need to extend a rope to somebody else. We are all in the battle against mire warfare. You got a friend you know stuck in the mire today? You hadn't known what to say to them? Today this invitation is to find the will and the mind of God so that you can be busy about battling in this battle of the mire warfare. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for these gracious people. And we pray now that, Lord, for those who pray to receive you and those that need to, Lord, that they'd come during this time of invitation and share the good news of their heart. Or, Lord, that they would respond to that calling. Lord, that, that strong, convicting calling that you're placing on their life. Lord, there's no way to deny it. And Lord, if they're feeling that today, Lord, I pray that they would respond. Give them courage and boldness to respond to you today. This church, these people know what it's like to respond. Many, many have responded to you in the past. Lord, I pray that as they lift up these who have needs today, that they will respond. Lord, for those that are struggling with family members or friends that are stuck in the mire, Lord, give them courage. Lord, to come and get in this altar today, whatever it may be, to allow you to speak to their hearts is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. During our time of invitation, we're going to ask you to stand. If God's dealing with your heart.